We're beginning a new sermon series this morning for our stewardship uh, campaign, and uh, we'll begin this morning with Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. That's found on page 853 in your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So it is spooky season. Julianne and I are already trying to work up what our costume is going to be for the trunk or treat this year. We've had some good costumes over the years. In fact, I've had lots of good costumes throughout my lifetime. Most of the times those costumes are things like dinosaurs or ghosts, things that aren't too, you know, erudite for people around me. But every now and then I will pick someone from literature to to try to portray on Halloween. For instance, once in middle school, I decided to be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that book written by Robert Louis Stevenson. I kind of split my costume right down the middle, and on one side, I was very clean cut, very, my hair was in the right place. I looked very formal, very nice, like I do on most Sunday mornings. On the other side, uh, my hair was messed up, my clothes were in tatters, I had kind of some black paint on my face. I looked a little bit out of sort, like I do on most Monday mornings. (laughs) Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on both sides. But you may not know this, but that book, written by Robert Louis Stevenson, was inspired by a true person, a real person, a man named Deacon William Brodie. Deacon Brody was a, a man about Edinburgh in the, in the 18th century, and uh, he was from the aristocracy, a very wealthy man about town. People loved him, respected him, trusted him. His father owned several uh, pieces of property throughout Edinburgh, and he was a, a well-known craftsman and a well-known locksmith in Edinburgh. And so people, people who owned their own businesses, people who owned their own homes, would come to Deacon Brody and bring their keys. They would give him their keys to help repair their locks or maybe even from time to time make a replacement key for them. They gave him their keys because they trusted him. Little did they know that he was making a copy of their key for himself. 
And at night, after they had left their businesses, he would take those keys and go unlock the door and steal from them. By day, he was this very trustworthy person, known all throughout Edinburgh as a wonderful, upstanding citizen. But by night, he was not trustworthy at all. It's a good Halloween story to think about people who have dark sides and light sides, but it's also a good stewardship story. Because you see, stewardship is all about trust. God entrusts to us all the things that we have in this world, but they're not entrusted to us so that we can just use them at our disposal. They're entrusted to us for our care so that we may use them to build up the kingdom of God. Everything that we have from this world, this environment, our time, our very lives, our our money, our friendships, our church, everything we have has been entrusted to us by God so that we may use those things to build up the kingdom of God and give glory to God. Well, our theme for stewardship this year is entrust. We're going to be thinking about all the things that God has entrusted to us, given to us for for our stewardship so that we can use them to build up God's kingdom. But we're also going to be thinking about the ways that we are called to trust in God. To, to trust in God's glory and God's uh, direction so, and God's calling so that we can follow in God's path with all the things that God has put in our trust. And that's what brings us to our passage this morning from the Gospel of Luke. This little parable, Jesus is in the midst of a, a teaching series here in the end, close to the end of the Gospel of Luke, and it, and it tells us that Jesus is teaching some people who are trusting too much in themselves. And he tells this parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector who go up to the temple together. Now right off the bat, the people around Jesus know who the trustworthy person is. It's got to be the Pharisee and not the tax collector. The Pharisee in Jesus' time was the person who followed the law, who, who knew the law very well, who followed it to a T. You could depend on that person without a doubt to know the law, to teach the law, to follow the law exactly the way God would call us to The non-trustworthy person would be, of course, the tax collector. The tax collector was the one who who would often cheat people out of their money. He would charge more taxes and then put it in his own pocket. He was known to be an unclean, unworthy person. And so he would clearly be the person that we should not trust in the story. The Pharisee goes into the temple and he prays this prayer to God. Oh God, I am so thankful that I am not like these other people around me, these prostitutes and sinners and, oh yeah, that tax collector over there. I'm so glad I'm not like him. All the wonderful things that I do, giving money to the temple, taking care of other people, I am such a wonderful disciple and follower of God. I do the right things and follow the law. Aren't you so proud of me, God? The tax collector does the opposite. He can't even look up from his shoes He keeps his eyes on the ground because he knows he's not worthy of any of those things. He's not even worthy of God's mercy. He's probably not even sure how they let him in the temple in the first place. And he prays, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, we know who the trustworthy person is. We know who the one who is not trustworthy. But Jesus seems to flip all that on his head. He says, guess which one is the righteous one? Guess which one is justified? It's the tax collector. Now, 
Of course, if I asked you which one of those people you would want to be, we would all say, well, I don't want to be the tax collector who sins all the time, but I don't want to be the Pharisee either who brags all the time. Why is it that the tax collector is the one who is justified? Well, it has nothing to do with what they've done. It has to do with where they put their trust. That they put their trust in themselves or do they put their trust in God? The Pharisee clearly is putting his trust in himself. He's not going to the temple saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He's saying, listen, Lord, for your servant is speaking. But the tax collector can barely look up to heaven. His only hope is that God's love is big enough for him. Now, of course, all of us would want to say that in that case, we're like the tax collector. We put our trust in God every single day for everything that we have, for everything that God's given us. Our trust belongs to God. We give those keys to our life. The keys are our meaning, the keys to our hope, the keys to everything that we have. We want to give those to God and, and put our faith and trust in God. But it's so easy for us to slip into the habits of the Pharisee. It's so easy for us, in spite of the fact that we want to trust everything to God, to every now and then, maybe even without us knowing it, to put trust in ourselves, to put trust in our own minds, our own wills, our own plans, our own money, our own ability to do the right thing. Sometimes without even knowing it, we put our trust and our pride maybe in ourselves rather than in the grace and the mercy of God. And whether we know it or not, that limits us. It limits our ability to build the kingdom of God. I'll give you a little example, and I've got her permission to share this story. But my wife, Julianne, told this story a couple years ago when we were at Montreat. She had been on a mission trip down to Jamaica and had a wonderful experience with her youth group. She had done some amazing things. They had served at a hospital. They had gone and spent time with children at an orphanage. They, I, think, I think, had even built a house while they were there. They were so excited. She was so proud of all the things she had done. She had done the things that God had asked her to do. It was so amazing to think of all that they had experienced in just a short time while they were down in Jamaica. She was taking pictures of everything she had done, taking pictures of the people there that she served with. When she came home, she could not wait to tell her grandfather all about it. Her grandfather was a, a saint of the church. And so she started going through the pictures and saying, look at what we did here and look at what we did there. And look at this person and that person, all these people that we got to, to meet while we were there. And her grandfather paused right in the middle of her telling a story and pointed to a person in one of the pictures and said, what was his name? She paused and looked at the picture and said, Dad, I didn't get his name. I don't remember his name. And as they started flipping through the picture, she realized she, there were a lot of those people's names that she did not remember, maybe did not even ask. And as she looked closely, she realized maybe a lot of those people didn't want their picture taken. They weren't looking at the camera or weren't smiling at the camera for sure. She realized maybe she and all of her good work that she was doing had missed something while she was there. That she had missed something by not getting to know these people of God, to getting to know their names, getting to know who God had made them to be. She was keeping them at arm's length. And maybe we all have the tendency to do the same. 
We're proud of our church. We're proud of the things that we do. And sometimes it's real easy for us to say, I'm sure glad we're not like that other church over there that's having problems. We're proud of the mission and ministry we do. It's too too easy for us at times to trust in God, but be pretty proud of ourselves. When the truth of the matter is, any time that we put our trust in what we have, we are limiting ourselves because no matter how much we have, we will always fall short. It stops us from building relationships. It stops us from looking our neighbors in the eye. It stops us from building the kingdom of God together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. He said, if my sinfulness to me appears to be to me in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sin of others, then I am not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in unfeigned humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? How could we possibly serve God as God calls us to when there is part of us that is not reliant fully on God's grace? Reliant fully on God's grace. Trusting fully in God's grace. For when we trust in God's grace, all those things, no matter how great that we have, no matter how great they are, they are still limited. But when we trust in the grace of God, we are trusting in something unlimited. The same problem can be said for the tax collector. The tax collector who looks in the mirror every day, looks at what he doesn't have, looks at all the sins that he commits, looks at all the ways he falls short. If he trusts in those things, then he's limited as well because he never wants to get out of bed in the morning. I have nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing to offer and nothing to give. The tax collector can be just as limited if he trusts in himself as well because he realizes he doesn't deserve what he has. He realizes that he falls short. The tax collector, too, has to realize and put those, that trust, those keys, in the hands of the unlimited God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, had that problem, believe it or not. For a long, long time, he looked at his life and felt like he always fell short. In spite of all the work that he did, in spite of all the ways that he served the church, every single day, if he looked in the mirror, he felt like he was wallowing, wallowing in the ways that he fell short until he was changed by God's unlimited grace. Discipleship became something different for him. Once he realized what the grace of God was all about, discipleship was not about striving and working and, and trying to fulfill some obligation. Discipleship was all about joyfully sharing the love of God. That's what we're called to do as well, to joyfully share in big ways and small ways, in whatever way we we can, joyfully share the love of God with others in our community in ways big and small. Because you see, that's what trusting in God does. It sets us free. It sets us free from the limits that we have in our own life. The limits of having so much that we think we can do it all on our own or the limits of having nothing and thinking we have nothing we can offer. It sets us free. To remember, as Philippians said, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
There's a wonderful little story that Fred Craddock tells, I think, that illustrates that well. He and his wife, Nettie, were traveling through Tennessee. They had stopped at a restaurant, and some person overheard them talking, realized that Fred was a minister, and so he came down, sat down right beside Fred without even asking him, and said, I heard you're a minister, and Fred said, oh yeah, I guess I am. He said, well, no, no, I don't want to ask you a question, I want to tell you a story. He said, when I was a child, I I never got to know my father. My mother was a single mother. She never told me anything about my father. And this was many years ago when that was a little bit more of a scandal in my hometown than maybe it is today. People looked down on me. My friends made fun of me. They would say things to me like, oh, when's your father coming home? And things like that. It hurt my feelings that I would go to church and couldn't even hold my head up. I would sneak out the side door because I didn't want anybody to talk to me. One day I got caught up in the crowd that was heading out to speak to the minister and I couldn't get away. And as I came out to the front of the church, the minister in a good old southern way slapped me on the back and said, now who do you belong to? Who's your father? Whose son are you? All I could do was look down at my shoes and the minister must have known that something was wrong. And so he slapped me on the back again and said, I know who you belong to. You're a child of God. Go out into the world and claim your inheritance. Those words inspired that young man to grow up and he introduced himself to Fred Craddock as the governor of Tennessee. Just those little words to remember that he was unlimited as a child of God, that God's grace was sufficient for him, that God's grace in God's hands, God's grace can, can make us better than we ever thought we could be on our own. As we think about what God is calling us to do and who God is calling us to be in the next year, I hope we will start by putting our trust in God. If we put our trust in ourselves, we'll be limited. We think about the growing problems we have around us every day, growing needs of hunger around us every day. Oh, there's only so much we can do, but in the hands of God, there's so much we can do. We think about the homeless people around us and the growing need for for housing, and we think, oh, there's just so much. There will always be homeless with us. But when we think about what God can do, boy, we can be a part of something big. When we think about things that are ingrained in us, like hatred and racism and suffering that are around us every day, oh, it's just something we have to live with. But in the hands of God, we can stop it. In the unlimited hands of God, all things are possible. We look at the needs of this building and the needs of our church, we can see those as limitations, Or we can see those as opportunities. Opportunities for God's grace to be known, for the gospel to be preached, for the kingdom to be built. So as we begin this stewardship season, who has your keys? Are you holding on to them yourself or are you giving them to God? Where is your trust? Is it in yourself or is it in the grace and love of God? I hope and pray that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are a child of God. Go out. Claim your inheritance. That's the way the kingdom of God will come. 
to the glory of God. Amen. Each week as we think about ways that God is calling us, I'm inviting several members of our church to share a little bit about how God has used them in the past year and will be using them in the future. And this morning, I'm so thankful that Jason and Benjamin Welty are willing to share with you a little bit about how they serve our church. Mana Meridian is a roller coaster of emotions, a mixed bag of fun, you could call it. Overall, it can be sad, though, because a lot of people come, which makes me think about how many have suffered of poverty. But it can also be happy because you are providing for these people who need your help, and you care for them like you love your neighbors. I also enjoy Mana because it is very important in my heart to help people when they are in need of assistance. I just need everyone to know that the people that put their heart and soul into Man on Meridian are willing to help anyone that is willing to come. Also, loving your neighbor is always just the most important thing when you go to Man on Meridian. So, that's how I feel. So good morning. So obviously we're talking about Man on Meridian today, and is, which is one of uh, the important ministries, many of the, one of the many important ministries we here ha, have at Faith Presbyterian. But as I was thinking about this and after Pastor Brad asked me about it, I, I remembered that, um, you know, there have been times that I've been reading the Bible and I've had that all of a sudden that aha moment, if you will. And that aha moment for me was when I was reading a passage in Matthew, Matthew 25, 30, uh, verse 31 through 46. And this passage is about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Um, and specifically in 2535, Jesus says to the sheep, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And then, and then of course, the, the goats, those that were being denied, in, <clears throat> denied entry into heaven, immediately protested and said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, feed, and not feed you and were thirsty and not give you something to drink? And the Lord replied, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, like the tax collector, you did it to me. So those of you know me and know me well, you know I like to keep things simple. Um, I can, if something isn't clear, I can sometimes get bogged down and I can't see the forest.